Welcome to the First State Insights, a podcast presented by the University of Delaware's Institute for Public Administration, IPA for short. My name's Sean O'Neill, and I'm a staff member at the Institute. I'm happy to be your host for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. On today's episode, I'm talking with Bill Swiatek, who is a principal planner at WOMAPCO, the Metropolitan Planning Organization, or MPO, for Newcastle County, Delaware, and Cecil County, Maryland. This conversation was recorded on September 24th. We discussed Bill's background and how he got to Wilmapco, Wilmapco's role as the MPO for Northern Delaware and Cecil County, and some of the larger projects he's been working on recently, including the Route 9 Master Plan. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks for joining us, Bill. It's great to be here, Sean. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Bill will get into this more during our conversation, I'm sure, but He's a principal planner at WOMAPCO, and he leads the agency's environmental planning efforts. Bill is also on the Delaware Public Health Association's Advisory Council, and he is past president of the Delaware Chapter of the American Planning Association, or Delaware APA, and he's the current chair of the membership committee for Delaware APA. That's, that's correct, right, Bill? So far, so good, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, joined, I, I joined the executive committee, um, Delaware APA, a few years ago. So we're used to seeing and speaking to each other a lot on these topics. Bill, I'll admit that I don't know a whole lot about your personal background. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, professional background, and what brought you to Wilmapco? Sure. Uh, I'm a local person. I, I did grow up in, in Wilmington, and I'm a guy that always had interest in, in cities. Um, you know, It was interesting growing up in Wilmington and, and seeing kind of how segregated the city was. We had a lot of the, the riverfront development at, when I was uh, coming up and then watching that go up and, you know, and kind of take off. I was really interested in that. And I ended up at the University of Delaware and got involved with the geography department there uh, and also anthropology and as kind of a minor and really just explored that interest in, in cities and space and kind of how people uh, interacted and, and why the, uh, the cities have taken the form that they have in, in the past century or so. And while there, I got really uh, some good career advice from, from one of my advisors, and that was to get into GIS. And so, you know, I was in some of the, the early GIS classes at UD and used that to kind of get into the, to the planning field. I was an intern uh, with the Delaware Valley Regional Planning Commission, which is well, MAPCO's sister agency in, in Philadelphia, they have probably one of the best GIS labs in, in, the, in the country. And I learned from those guys about making great looking maps using data and analyses and so forth. Uh, I then came back to, to UD to finish up a master's degree in, in geography. And during that time, I, I became an intern at, at Will MAPCO, really just to make a few extra bucks over the summer. And uh, it was at a period when we had a lot of, of, of changeover at the agency, and I was offered a full-time position. And I you know, initially said, no, I don't really have time for this. I'm trying to finish up my, my master's. But thinking more about it, I, I, I took it on, and, and they were really great with my uh, work and were able to kind of you know, pay for the, my, my classes and so forth. And, and I've been here for the last 15 years. So I kind of came in with a real GIS focus and I've been able to kind of expand that into different areas of, of planning. I didn't know that you were at DBRPC. 
I interacted some with them uh, when I worked in Chester County, um, Chester County Planning Department. So pretty familiar with them and, and uh, also through Urban Land Institute, Philadelphia Advisory Board, they interact a lot with DVRPC as well. So that's, that's interesting. Yeah, and we at Wilmapka has a great relationship with DVRPC. We're always seeing what techniques that they're using, and I know that they take a look at our material as well and uh, and try to use it for their planning uh, processes as well. So we have a, a great relationship with the other MPOs uh, that that are around us: DVRPC, BMC uh, in Baltimore, and of course the Dover Kent MPO as well uh, in Kent County. As you as you just said, uh, WMAPCO is the Metropolitan Planning Organization, or MPO, for Newcastle County and Cecil County areas. Can you tell us a little bit about WMAPCO and its role as the MPO for Northern Delaware? Sure. It's um, as the MPO, we're the main like transportation long term planning agency for WMAPCO region, which is the Wilmington metro region as defined by the census. So that's Newcastle County uh, in Delaware and also Cecil County in Maryland. And as the MPO, we develop the long-range transportation policy uh, for the region through our regional transportation plan. And so we have policies around improving quality of life, making transportation more efficient, having sustainable economic development and goods movement, and then, you know, in that long-range plan as well, we have the, the projects listed that, that are kind of the long-term projects to improve the transportation system through what is now the year 2050 RTP. So highway projects, uh, predominantly when you, when you look at where the money is going, also uh, transit projects, bike ped projects, all kind of fit within, within the, that plan. And then, you know, a couple of the other major roles that we take is, you know, keeping track of federal funding for those projects as they move through construction phases. So we have something called the Transportation Improvement Program that lists out all those projects and, and the funding that they're receiving. And then we also have gotten into a lot of uh, regional studies and small area studies that link back to the policy in the RTP and, and really try to help implement some of the, the actions and recommendations that, that are in there. And we've gotten a lot more into these small area studies since I've been at WMAPCO, kind of taking care of the RTP and the tips and um, having more time to, to work on sub-regional studies uh, here and corridor studies and so forth. And I think what's also interesting is we've we've gotten more and more into land use planning and master planning and, and not just looking at these plans as transportation plans, but also incorporating some of the land uses and, and, and other community needs into the plans that, that I think are essential. Yeah, it's interesting. The um, small area plans and quarter plans is something that I think was more common when I worked in Maryland, city of Annapolis, you'd see them a lot. And so I don't know, from my perspective, it's really good to see more of those happening in Delaware and regionally. I think that they're uh, really important when it comes to, you know, implementation. I don't know if that's your feeling, but that's, that's always kind of been my, my sense is that you have larger plans and you kind of need to hone in on more specific areas to really get things done sometimes. And uh, yeah, the, the transportation improvement program, that was a big one too. When I worked at Annapolis and that kind of drove, drove a lot of things. So I'm sure all this is publicly available and 
if anybody's listening and you're interested, you can you can find out where all this stuff's happening. <laughs> you want to know what yeah. work can be uh, worked on next? Yeah, that's that's a good source. And honestly, the tip is is good reading for for nighttime uh, if you need to to go to sleep. It is a really <laughs> long document, uh, but it, it's it, I would use it you know to take a look at, at specific plans if you have a project in your your area or your your, your town or, or whatever. You can kind of zero in on that and, and see what the funding is and what it's expected to be finished and so forth. So I'd really use the tip as a reference point. Uh, but as you say, Sean, I mean, I, those small area studies are, are critical. And I think that there's a, a nice relationship with the long range plan with those um, in that, you know, the small area studies can produce projects that then end up getting um, placed in the long range plan and end up getting funded through the tip and uh, it, it's, a, it's a better way of, of coming up with projects by doing it at, in the, that small area plan level instead of a more top-down approach saying, you know, hey, here's what we need regionally in the small area plan approach. It's more what does the community need here that then can be um, kind of pushed up to the regional level. So IPA has partnered with OMAPCO on a number of projects through the years. Um, I'm, I'm not even familiar with all of them, but I'm, I know that there have been a number of them. One that we have been doing on an annual basis is a park and ride study, which our students do annually. And uh, some of our staff and students kind of joke around. It's almost like a rite of passage for them to, to go do the park and ride study and count all the cars. But I know it's very valuable to you there to, to have that uh, information. Um, many of the projects that IPA's done I believe tend to be a little smaller in scale than a lot of the projects that Wilmapco is involved with. So interested to hear about some of the larger projects that Wilmapco has going on right now that people might be interested to hear about. Sure. Yeah. And that park and ride data is, is useful. We, um, we end up putting it in our, our regional progress report, which is a document that's like the performance report that we use to evaluate the, the long range plan and how well we're doing and really set us up for the next long range plan. So that, that's an interesting document. I think uh, folks could, could check out. Um, it goes well beyond what the federal government requires us to do in, in terms of looking at performance and looks at a lot of the, the things that, that really meaningfully impact how the transportation system is, is working. Uh, so, for example, we're tracking things like um, walking distance to bus stops in Newcastle County and in Cecil County and, and how that's changing and, and how then that might influence transit ridership and, um, and performance on that system. Um, but as you say, Sean, we have a lot of, of different um, plans going on right now, a lot of those small area plans. And I, I kind of joke that you know, we have more of the region that's not covered by a small area plan than, than one that is. Um, right now, there is the Southern Newcastle County uh, master plan. So that, that covers all of uh, the counties south of the, the canal. There's a master planning process going on on Concord Pike, stretching from really the city of Wilmington's boundary all the way up to the Pennsylvania uh, border. We have a, a corridor study on Governor Prince Boulevard. Got another one going in the Churchman's Crossing area, so around the, the Christiana Mall. Um, Newport has a transportation plan active right now as well. So those are all really active studies that, that are under development. And I think you know anyone listening that, that lives in those areas should get involved in, in those processes and, and try to help influence uh, and get their, their voice into them. I myself are, are you know, following up on work with the Route 9 master plan. That was completed a couple of years ago. 
And one of the interesting projects that, that I'm working on now is looking at our urban te technology deserts, I'm calling it. And it's just, you know, looking at places where uh, people and communities don't have a lot of uh, computer access or internet access. And, you know, I identifying those, those spots and really trying to help our outreach, uh, especially now during the pandemic when so much of it is virtual, with informing outreach approaches in those uh, tech desert places. So that that's something to keep a, an eye out for uh, that will be coming down the pike soon. Yeah, that's really interesting, the technology desert concept. A lot of times people uh, don't think about that as being an issue. Even when we talk about broadband access in rural areas, access to technology in urban areas can be a very big problem for people uh, without the resources. So that's great. Yeah, I think that's a great study. So I, I have been somewhat involved uh, with, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Reach Riverside uh, project, uh, Wilmington. I'm on a subcommittee with that group. And uh, they have mentioned the Governor Prince Boulevard project, which I think doesn't quite go all the way up to their area. But yeah, that, that was an interesting one for me to, to take a look at and see uh, what's going on there. Interesting stuff to look forward to. I'll, I'll be I'll be uh, looking it up when we're done talking today. <laughs> I, and so the other thing that I, I want to say there or ask you about, I guess, is um, you're working in in pretty close coordination with uh, Newcastle County Land Use Department on a lot of the studies. I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we've actually had some some changes to the way we're we're doing studies so that they they kind of fit more seamlessly or fit seamlessly into the, the comp planning process and that they can be sort of just kind of the concept is we do a, a small area study and then it, it just, it becomes, you know, an official county plan. Uh, so we had to make some, have some coordination with the uh, land use department to do that. But it, it really shows that there's, there's good synergy between uh, the county and, and, and what we're doing at WOMAPCO. And, and there, it's, it's been that way for a long time. Was I was talking about the the long range transportation plan. I mean, historically, that's been kind of the, the transportation section of the county comp plan. Um, so yeah, and on all of these studies, we have nice coordination with the county, and same with studies within municipalities. We have great coordination with uh, town of Newport, for example, with that study, and then in studies in Wilmington with the city, Wilmington, town of Elkton, wherever we're doing a, a study, we really get the local authorities involved. Yeah, one more follow-up to that. I actually uh, had a question from a friend recently about the uh, proposed train station in New Newport. It's one of these these train stations that aren't active anymore are always a focus. There's one in Elkton, Newport, and I know from working in Chester County, there's one in Westchester that's been doing it for a long time. I guess the question there would be, if they were to reactivate that train station, about how long would you suspect it would take? to get that up and running if it were to happen? I mean, that's a great question. I, I know it's a project and I'd have to, to look up where it is kind of in, in the pipeline. A lot of the focus recently has been, you know, trying to get that, the Newark station uh, redone and, and, and re-energized. And, and then another focus would be on Claymont uh, and getting that station moved and, and up to speed. And I think after that, Newport's going to be the kind of the key focus here in, in Delaware. And it really would play a vital role in, in redeveloping that town once it, it gets up uh, up to snuff. And uh, that is part of the, the long-range plan for, for Newport. So I would just have to take a look and see where it is kind of in the pipeline to answer that. 
Sure. No, yeah, it's just, yeah, those, those stations, I know they can take a long time to get up and running and they always tend to be kind of a focus and you know, talking point, but there's a lot involved in that SEPTA and a lot of different organizations and funding and, uh, and kind of all that stuff goes into it. So, but it, you know, it's, it's interesting to hear about, you mentioned before the route nine uh, quarter master plan, you were central to that being completed a couple of years ago. Now, I think, I know that's something that's been near and dear to, to your heart, that plan. It's, you put a lot into it. And I, I'm interested to hear more about the purpose, process, and uh, recommendations that came out of that plan. Yeah. And I mean, thinking about coordination with, with Newcastle County, I mean, that's, that's really where this, this plan started from. Um, the corridor was, was identified as in need of, of some revitalization and some support planning wise. You know, it, it, it had the new library that, that was built on the Route 9 corridor. And, and I'll say that if anyone hasn't visited that library, you know, when it, when it opens again and you're able to yeah. definitely check it out, it is, I think, the, the nicest library. Um, that I've been to, and it's, yeah. it's really world class. Totally um, great. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing facility. It's great. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think with with that um, that coming online, and and just you know the county realizing that that this area has been neglected for for a long time, uh, they came to Wilmapco with uh, a request to do a master plan along the Route Nine corridor, and uh, we got involved. We had, I think, what stands out is a really intensive uh, community involvement to develop. The, the plan. We used uh, what I'd say as a multi-pronged approach to, to outreach where we were trying to hear from people in each of the, the very different neighborhoods up and down the corridor and really took pains to, to do that through you know, online outreach, traditional meetings. And what really was the most important was just on the street outreach you know, at, at grocery stores or in parks and, and so forth. We also had a parallel process that, that got kids involved in, in the planning process, which I think was really important because we just weren't hearing their voices uh, through the, the normal process that we had. And I, you know, I think what came out of that was then a realization about what the positives were in, in the corridor and, and what some of the challenges were. You know, one of the positive things about the, the corridor is that it's really a lot of multi-generational communities, real rich history there that, that folks are very proud of is, you know, some of the first African-American suburbs in the city. It's a place where it's generally still affordable compared to the rest of the, the, the region to, to live. You know, and location-wise, it's excellent. It's you know, right in the middle of, of a lot of key highways and uh, it can, can get around very easily. Uh, but there are a lot of challenges on, on the corridor as well. And, and we, in the master plan, I, I deed and then really tried to tackle some of the ones that related to, to land use and, and transportation some of the land use issues, really, that the big one is looking at the uh, how industry and, and residential are, are kind of intertwined in that corridor. And, you know, if you look at 100 years ago, the corridor was, was mostly farmland. But, you know, you can sort of see the, the seeds of, of industry poking out here and there. And, and kind of over the past uh, several decades, that industry and, and the subdivision developments that, that happened post-war really kind of grew into each other when, when that really should never have happened. There should have been nice spacing between them. And so we were in kind of a, a situation with the, the plan was, was how to do we separate that now. And so there's a number of recommendations to look at um, trying to space 
the industry away from from residential up and down the corridor because um, that issue really underlines a lot of the health challenges I think that the, the corridor has and, and quality of life issues that, that people that live there have. One of the other land use um, and zoning recommendations w- was looking at really supporting kind of nodal development along the corridor where we're kind of trying to develop centers instead of having development just drop piecemeal as it, as it has over the past century or half century or so. So trying to use like the library, for example, as a catalyst and really putting a lot of uh, mixed use development around there that's, you know, affordable, that has some standards for affordability, but then also has retail and uh, office and, and different things that are kind of missing in one central location to make that uh, transit accessible, walkable, make it pop, and then kind of do the same thing at, at different nodes along the corridor. From the uh, transportation side, I mean, what we're looking at really is trying to reduce speeds on, on the big roads, Route 9, Memorial Drive, Rogers Road, uh, keep traffic moving, but try to rethink how the, the, the roads are laid out to promote better walking and, and biking connections and really making those roads uh, safer for, for all users. Uh, so we have a, a series of, of recommendations that look at looking at things like road diets. Um, one of them was, was actually implemented on Memorial Drive that connects Route 9 with uh, US 13. And, you know, hearing from the community so far, that's been very, very successful. It hasn't led to any massive uh, car backups, as, as some people predicted. But, you know, it's, it's been able to reduce speeds on, on that road, make it a lot easier to, to get across so kids can get to school uh, a little bit safer. And we have other major uh, recommendations that are planned for uh, Route 9 itself, uh, looking at intersection rebuilds, looking at ways we can put bike paths in there, separated bike and, and, and walkway paths, and adding greenery as well to the area, which is, is missing in, in many cases. And good thing is a lot of those projects are funded through the state and they're in our transportation improvement program. So you can uh, check out where, where those are. And yeah, one of the, the, the cool things as well is that, is that we have a monitoring committee that was set up after the study was adopted back in 2016. And, and they've been meeting every month to work on implementation of these uh, projects. It's a, uh, it's a multi, faceted group of, of civic leaders working with uh, government, business people, uh, faith leaders that are all kind of together on this group and, and working on implementation of the, of the plan, giving feedback to, to DelDOT and giving feedback to the county as they, they go and, and start to um, incorporate this stuff in, into implementation. And, you know, the cool part of that work, too, is that we've been able to move on to some other efforts in the community that are priorities that we really weren't able to explore as, as much in the master plan. One of the key community issues, for example, is, is workforce development and how to have more local hires with, with different projects. You know, when the, the, the library was built there, it was built um, with labor that wasn't from the community. And that's, it was a real sore spot with, with folks there. We want to make sure when, when other projects come that we, we really try to have local labor uh, construct that. So we have a nice partnership with a, a local business that has um, construction zone flagging training program. And, and they actually, really through their own volition, were able to, to train and hire uh, seven residents from the corridor um, that were either unemployed or underemployed 
uh, at living wage jobs, being construction zone flaggers. Uh, so we want to try to really build on that effort. Another key thing is is health, and we talked a little bit about that with the the, the zoning uh, mismatches that that are in there. There's also a real disconnect between um, how the community kind of views its the environmental impacts on its health and, and what some of the state data show with cancer risk, for example. And so through this group that we have formed, we were able to kind of bring together health officials with civic leaders to have discussions about um, health and, and what the data show, what it doesn't show, what's missing. And through that effort, we were able to create um, what's going to be a health assessment and action plan for the, the corridor. It's actually funded and it's going to be executed by the uh, UD Cooperative Extension. Wow. That's going to be like a, a project where, again, you know, community working with health officials are able to to look at, at what, are, what the community's needs are health-wise in, in the corridor and not just what shows up in, the, in that official data. And another exciting, interesting project that we have is a Healthy Communities Delaware project for the Route 9 corridor that, again, is, is kind of extending on some of the work with, with the master plan. We're going to be looking at, you know, the possible formation of a CDC along the corridor to kind of help drive some of those land use recommendations that, that we have there, as well as other support agencies to, to build community infrastructure, which were community priorities. We've got a paths plan as well, a pathway plan that, that WMAPCO is, is actively leading and is about to roll out uh, on the corridor. And that's a project that's looking at really sprawl repair and, and trying to interconnect communities with, with pathways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of course, as suburban development, these, these communities were generally built in isolation of one another. They're not linked by walking and biking paths for the most part. There are a few communities that are. But this plan is, is kind of looking at where those pathways could be built to link communities up so you don't have to go out to the main roadway to, to get from point A to point B or you know, from your house to a, to a park, house to school. You can get there easily uh, on a pathway and not you know, on the main road. Uh, so we, we have a partnership with um, Colonial School District to do a survey to, to really help drive some of the recommendations in, in that plan, which was laid out in the master plan, but we're just trying to refine it through this, um, through this work. And then the last exciting thing that we, we have going on is um, kind of a video. We want to have a, a video that kind of tells the story of how this came to be, you know, and, and provides a way for, for community members that aren't familiar with the process to learn more about it and, you know, kind of welcome them into, into getting involved with, with the planning process and implementation efforts that we have underway. Wow, that's 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 awesome. There's a lot I could follow up on there. You know, you talk about um, reaching out to youth. You know, one of one of the things that I've become more interested in since working at IPA, frankly, is is uh, civic education. You know, kind of just ensuring that communities and, and people understand how these processes work and how they can have a voice and be engaged. You know, and I think getting civics back into schools is a key key component of that. Um, so it's great to hear that you reached out and got, you know, youth involvement there. So tying into that a uh, little bit, I think last thing I wanted to ask you about is Black Lives Matter movement has recently increased focus on topics related to social justice, equity, and inclusion. Uh, you've been focused on this topic for a number of years. I know at Delaware APA and, and even with this Route 9 quarter master plan, and you've made efforts to highlight the need for people 
from diverse backgrounds to be more engaged in the planning profession, as we were just talking, you've done in Route 9. So considering that and considering the moment we're, we're in right now as a country and as a society, uh, what do you think planners, policymakers, um, and others can do to take action and improve uh, social justice, equity, and inclusion, both in our communities and in, and in the planning profession? Sure, that's a that's a big question. Yeah. I don't know how much time we have to answer it, but <laughs> I think the main thing is is just recognizing that that there is structural racism and looking at ways to to break it down uh, within our individual agencies and um, spheres of influence or, or whatnot. You know, I've been around long enough working on equity issues to to know that sometimes it's kind of a hot topic and people are really tuned into it, and sometimes they're not. They're you know, they kind of tune it out and think, oh, that's yesterday's news. And I really hope with the, the new movement, you know, across the country that we're going to be able to keep this at the forefront of, of folks' attention uh, moving forward. But like I said, you know, looking at just different levels and different pillars of structural racism and, and realizing it's not just police reform, which maybe is the, the hot media topic, but we have to look at housing, we have to look at transportation, you know, education and, and a host of other things. And so I think that, you know, everyone listening probably has a role to play in this in taking a hard look at, at what's going on in their specific field. Um, what I was able to do last year through a report or a transportation justice report in, in 2019, we looked at um, transportation spending within our, our black communities and within other communities as well. And we found that since the turn of the century, black areas got 38% less transportation spending than we would expect, you know, based on their population size. And that white communities were sort of right on target with what we'd expect. Even Hispanic communities were about right on target. So it's just asking, you know, finding those, those gaps and then asking why that took place, I think is critical. And, and so in our example, what we're, we're doing is, is taking steps to, to try to cover that. We've changed the way that we're prioritizing projects at WMAPGO based on that analysis. We're trying to drive some more projects within those Black communities that were kind of uh, neglected over the past uh, several years. But I think it's much deeper than that. It gets into who is developing the plans and, and talking about outreach and, and getting folks involved that, that can advocate for projects within those, uh, those communities. So I think one of the key things, you know, for all of us is, is really to make outreach central to developing plans, whether it's a, a large plan for the county or a small plan, like a small area study, um, you know, and, and aiming really for representative sampling, I think in the, the plan process, that's something that's, that's really important that is often missing. Uh, I was just reading a, a comp plan that I won't mention where, but um, the, the black uh, population was was really underrepresented in the survey that that was done for it. I think the the citywide population was about twenty five percent, and only five percent of the people that took the survey were black. And so that's a that's a tremendous equity issue in and of itself. And, and I think we have to be able to to recognize that and kind of put the brakes on a process where where we see such a gap and say, let's look for other ways to engage the community to, to have a better uh, sample and, and, and a better, um, in, the, in the end, a better, more representative product in the plan that's, that's developed there. So that's something we do at WMAPCO with our, our public opinion survey that's, that's done to kind of inform the, the long-range plan. Uh, back in 2013, we 
we looked at you know who we were talking to with this opinion survey, which is a telephone-based survey, and found that we were really talking to people who picked up the phone first. And, and that the result of that was we were talking to, to mostly white folks, and we were talking to mostly folks who were over the age of 65. And so several years ago, we, we instituted some quotas for that opinion survey to make sure that you know, the, the people that we used for the, the sample were based on the area demographics. So to make sure that we, you know, we're talking to enough Hispanics and enough Blacks and enough Asians that is representative uh, of our region. And of course, doing that costs more money. So it's, 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 it's kind of a price you have to pay, though, to, to being more equitable in, in how you're um, approaching the, the outreach process. In the Route 9 plan as a small area plan, um, we were really focused on neighborhood. So making sure that we heard from voices from each of the neighborhoods and mapping it out and saying, are we missing folks in one neighborhood or another? And if we were, we, we did a little bit extra outreach there to, to have a more representative uh, sample. And I think all this kind of ties back into, you know, where we are in this moment with, with the pandemic and, you know, the, the move to kind of online and, and virtual engagement. Which in, in some ways is, is, is exciting and it's, it's, it's a great tool for, for outreach. Uh, but in others, it's, it's kind of scary because it, it kind of opens the door for more of this, um, inequity. And I was talking about some of those tech deserts earlier. The, the black population, for example, in our tech deserts is about 45% in, in the Wilmington region. And that's more than double what the, the regional population is for, for blacks. So, you know, if we're, if we're just focused on, online outreach, you know, the chances that we're going to have that misrepresented sample, particularly in the, in the communities that, um, you know, have that technological inaccess. So I think it really underlines the need now to look at different ways to do outreach um, in a low-tech way to complement kind of that online outreach. So, you're, you know, looking at stuff over the phone or whether it's in a park or whatever the case may be to, to kind of supplement that. And I think some of the other things I would say are, are just looking at really, again, prioritizing some work and, and projects within our Black communities is, is something that's important. That's going to require planners to learn to build trust with Black communities. Um, you know, there's a lot of mistrust within, within those communities because of the the racist past and present that that you know they experience from government and from uh, corporations and so forth. Um, one of the things we can uh, do is is really I think just listen and act together on local priorities, and you know that means not coming in with kind of an agenda and saying this is what we're going to do, but saying you know let's work together on. Uh, different projects and hear what the needs are and then actually, you know, respond to those and then support collaboratively finding solutions. And I think once people see that um, you're listening and then the things are starting to get done to improve the community, that's how they stay involved in, in the process. It's not because they like you or because whatever, whatever else, it's because, you know, you're actually doing something to improve uh, the community. Another thing I would suggest is is that uh, planners check out uh, the concepts around trauma-informed community building. Um, and this is some work that our, our friends in the public health field are, are kind of on to, but I haven't really seen it applied so much in planning. Uh, but it's looking at things like the concept of having safe, safe places for doing um, engagements and, 
an example would be not having, you know, a meeting nearby a police station. Uh, so, you know, somebody that's maybe undocumented or has been involved with the police in the past, that could be son of a, a turnoff when you walk into the building and see the police station right in front of you, uh, if, if that's where your, your meeting is taking place or the same building that, that you have that. Uh, so maybe a place like a school would be a, a more of a safe and neutral spot. Valuing the time of residents, um, having childcare for, for residents at the meeting, having food and you know, is something that, that's important as well, I think, for um, encouraging that participation from, from community members. I think one of the things that we've been working on as well, Sean, is, is looking at training. So how can you know, planners kind of get more in tune with, with some of the, the uh, bias and so forth that, that go into some of the decision making. So that's something that WillMapGo is, is also tuned into. And I know APA Delaware is, is working on as well. And I think the biggest thing that I could say, though, is, is just don't be afraid to make mistakes. Just kind of go out there and um, age the community as best you can and, and keep showing up, even if it's, if it's difficult, even if you get some negative feedback, um, because there's just so much uh, history there and so much mistrust of, um, of different agencies and, and so forth. And I, I don't think you can let that keep you from coming to the table that you know, if, you're, if you're willing to make mistakes and willing to learn from them, and you actually do good for the community, the community will continue to show up and then you'll be able to make progress. That's great. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot to follow up on there, but I think that's a, a good point to end on. The only thing I'd say is it's, um, I'm listening to everything you recommended there. It's almost like a back to basics for planners, right? I mean, you know, find the, the leaders in, in the neighborhood, focus on the neighborhood level and, and kind of go from there. But, I want to thank you very much for joining us today, Bill. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. It's been great. It's been great to hear from you on all these topics. Uh, and I look forward to seeing you at our next uh, Delaware APA meeting. All right, Sean, well, it was fun. Thank you again for having me. And uh, feel free to reach out if you want to follow up on anything. Great. Thank you. For more information on WillMapCo, please visit www.willmapco.org. You can ac- access information on the Transportation Improvement Plan Route 9 Master Plan, and other projects and studies referenced in today's episode on WillMapGo's website. Links are also included in the show notes. To learn more about IPA, you can visit us at ipa.udel.edu. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Subscribe to First State Insights Podcast so that you'll never miss a new episode. 